Hey guys, this is Stand Out, a podcast on the modern woman, and I'm Natalia Brzezinski, your host. And today we'll be interviewing Margaret Wallström, the foreign minister of Sweden and the first foreign minister ever in the world to declare a feminist foreign policy and a feminist government. When I moved to Stockholm, Sweden, almost four years ago now, I, I moved in the government capacity. My husband was the U.S. ambassador under President Obama. And I was a young mom and a young woman that really wanted to make a difference in this role. So I remember going around Washington, D.C. And, and asking influential women and politicians, who should I meet in Sweden that will help me make a difference, that will be a great contact for me? And unilaterally, the response was Margaret Wallström. And I reached out to her, and she was incredibly generous. So early on, we went out, and we had lunch outside on your Gordon. And I remember being completely blown away, because I had had lunch with famous people, with many famous comedians, actresses in Sweden. Swedes do not approach other Swedes on the street. Everyone approached Margaret Wallström. Men and women alike came up to our table telling her how much they valued her, how much they appreciated her. Obviously, this was a woman who stood out and stood out in a country where you're not supposed to stand out and encouraged others to stand up and come up to her and stand out themselves. So when I started this project, I said, I have to have Margaret Wallström as our guest to help us all stand out and tell us how she does it. Thankfully, she's here with us today. Margaret, welcome. Thank you, and friend. And I think we'll get right into it, Margaret. How do you stand out? I don't seek to stand out, but I think you have to have an inner moral compass. Um And I studied for a summer, read about people that I admire a lot, people that we consider or would name heroes uh, mm. or role models. And what they all had in common was a very strong feeling of what is right and wrong. So they had that kind of inbuilt uh, moral compass. They And then they got the the courage to act and they were willing to act uh, also according to their convictions. And they also had a vision. They had an idea of what kind of world they want to live in or what kind of world they want to create. And I, I that made a big impression on me. I, I hope that we can look for our inner compasses and follow them. Is that what's guiding you now? Because I will say you do stand out and you've definitely stood out with being the first feminist government in the world and declaring a feminist foreign policy a few days. It was bold. It was decisive. And you provoked a lot of reaction on both sides. It, yeah, it was also criticized. And of course, I expected that. But I uh, I sought uh, comfort in, in the words of Gandhi, because he said that, you know, if you present something new, they will first ignore you, hmm. then they will laugh at you. 
they will then fight you and then you win. So that is also <laughs> what I think will happen. Uh, I, I knew that it would be controversial because it's a word with, uh, in some countries, a connotation that, that is sort of negative or at least not easily uh, understandable. So we have to explain it and we have to show that this is... Um, an analysis and it's a, a way of, of, it's an approach and it is also a method, a method of uh, checking that women can also enjoy the same rights, that they can be represented in the same way as men and that they also can get the resources they need. So the three R's of mm. this uh, uh, model or this approach. Did you feel any anger? And I asked because, you know, I did. I was really surprised by, and you know my role here, my, Mark was the ambassador. We worked a lot together with you as well before you were in your role on these types of issues. And when you came out, I was so happy. And the American press and a lot of people on the inside were skeptical. They were, but I must say again, um, I was supported by more people <laughs> than those that were critical. So I really believe that it very soon turned into a, a, a deep interest from many countries, including from the US, and uh, and also respect because as soon as we had a chance to to explain exactly what uh, it encompasses, then uh, we we. Uh, um, we're winning. And um, I think we have also had a fantastic response from all our embassies around the world. And this it gives uh, another story of the world, another picture and image of the world we're living in when we ask them to also show us and tell us how uh, how women are faring. What about uh, their lives? What about their concerns? Do they enjoy the same legal rights? What about uh, their, are they represented? Are they around the table of important, where important decisions are being made? And are they given the same opportunities in society? Um, and you see a lot remains to be done. And I, th I think we are, we have just sort of, we're winning respect hmm. uh, gradually. Is Sweden as far ahead of the U.S. in this, you think? Um, both and yes I think and no. It is, so. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think in the uh, maybe uh, um, when it comes to the level of awareness and the debate, the debate has definitely moved on here. And you know, you wouldn't find almost any politicians who would n who would not say that they are also feminists and me in the meaning that women and men should enjoy the same uh, opportunities and rights and obligations. Um, but I also think that the U.S. is probably ahead of us when it comes to entrepreneurship among women, uh, women on, on boards and as, you know, leading big companies and so on. I think we are still lagging behind. So there are in a number of areas, I think we can also learn from, hmm. from the U.S., especially on, on entrepreneurship and uh, business. And I want to pursue that because this was part of my motivation behind calling this podcast Stand Out. Mm. I mean, we've laughed about this. Every Swedish woman I know and friend and leader laughs about this law of Yante, yeah. not standing out. Yeah. And you know what I've discovered? It's not just Swedish. Sheryl Sandberg wrote a book about women not leaning in, the behaviors of women and girls in school, raising your hand and being a good girl. Mm. These behaviors do not translate into the business world. No. So you see in Sweden a scenario where... 
you have everything that American women are fighting for right now. Maternity leave, men, men pushing strollers on your garden, paternity leave. Mm. Yet there are not that many female leaders. Mm. And especially in business, but even I think in politics, when it comes to really taking a stand on things, there is a fear of really using your voice. Do you think it's changing? Does that affect you? I I think yes, because I was brought up in that way. You you should be you must be kind. Mm. You you should be a bit care more careful about what you say. You, you you were supposed to to sort of fill a form of of what what a, a good girl is. And at the same time, I must say we've also come to a point where I see more women want to imitate a male behavior than the other way around. And I also think it's important that we don't lose what is a strength of of women and um, not everything traditional has to be bad. I wish that the more men would maybe follow uh, women and the way we solve problems because of, of the tradition of women caring for the kids. We have also learned to multi, do multitasking, to compromise, to listen better, all of those things that, that you would maybe connect with with sort of female qualities and we are talking very you know generic now and generalizing but but those are good qualities that we don't have to feel ashamed of so we should not turn into men uh, we we really have to and compete with with men but uh, it's not that we are better but we are different and let's um, hail that let's uh, pay tribute to also the the differences and i think it's best when we are a mix of of both men and women and of course i see it now in the context of so many peace agreements hopefully being signed you know being negotiated and and signed where are the women so if we are in all our fantastic ambitious uh, political targets and action plans we st- we are still in a situation where women are uh, absent from these negotiations and from being able to put their signatures under a peace deal so we have not we are not there yet we're not there yet. And I was so happy to see on the cover of the New York Times a few days ago an article about that fact with the United Nations. And you were in a historic role at the UN. You were mentioned in this article, actually, mm-hmm. Sweden, and you specifically were mentioned about feminist foreign policy. Will there be a female leader of the United Nations? Well, we belong Will to you? those countries who have signed a, a, a statement where Fantastic. we say at least there, we ought to have female names mentioned, candidates, uh, uh, women candidates that, that could be presented and come forward. So we can only hope for that. Um, Do you have a favorite? No, I, I don't think I should mention it, but <laughs> yes. I mean, I see many, many fantastic women from around the world and uh, I, I really hope that they will also present themselves and uh, it's uh, not a job that that you really would even wish your, your worst enemy at times, you know, that all the problems of the world will rest on the shoulders of a leader of the United Nations. And But it has, the UN has its beauties and its shortcomings and 
Recently, we've seen too much of, of the shortcomings, unfortunately, being unable in the Security Council to to intervene and prevent conflicts from escalating into full-blown wars and what have you not. So, um, But I think it, it would make a difference. I would uh, like to nominate you if I had that power. Well, <laughs> Next subject, Natalia. Next, yes, exactly. <laughs> but tell me, I mean, we are basically on the same page. And I think you've been to as many, 10 times more of these styles of conferences and events and worked on this issue for decades. We're not there yet. And there's been an interesting phrase that I've heard a lot in Sweden. Mm -hmm. And I think we have a little bit of an American equivalent, but not really. And forgive my pronunciation, it's kvinofella. Yeah. I believe mm -hmm. it's something akin to a trap or mm -hmm. how, how would you translate that? I guess it's it's a trap. It's a trap for for women. That's the direct uh, translation of it. Um, Do you have you been in that trap? Um, I I think that this is difficult because I must say that if there is something that has in, enriched my life, it is to have children, mm. <laughs> to give birth to to child and to raise a child and to spend time with a child. And I I have used all the time that I could get also from the parental leave. Have you taken your full absolutely, maternity? Absolutely, I've taken absolutely Fantastic. every minute of it because you also understand afterwards how short that period is, how important it is to connect to, to a child. And this is one thing that I, instead of just thinking that, no, no, we shouldn't use it and it will affect our salaries, I, I think we, we should insist on having it because it gives us something and it's, it's important. But of course, we should not be paid less because we are women. And in the end, we should not receive a pension that is so much lower than any man because of the fact that we have also uh, maybe stayed home longer or taken care of. Of, uh, our children. But you how, know. how did you manage to stay in the game? Because I, there's been an interesting study, and, and this is a hot topic again in the US. Can we have it all? And no, we people, cannot. We cannot. I am sorry. We cannot. We sometimes we have to choose. If we, ca we cannot have it all. We can, uh, you, you have to choose sometimes also. Do you want to be with your your kid and how much time do you want to give to your kid and how much you know there are periods in your life where you have to say maybe now I choose to do to do this and we should ask also the husbands or our, our husbands and and the men to to do the same and say that they will actually be um, much much richer much stronger much wiser from from doing that Uh, but we ought to maybe share and have a more equal sort of responsibility, sharing of the responsibility of family and, and kids uh, in, in, in a marriage or in a relationship. Uh, so I, but I, maybe I'm just old fashioned. I, I, I'm the first one to admit that, but I must say that uh, those who lose out from all of this otherwise will be the children. And I think we always have to put the children first and look at how do we... But doesn't do we, that always land on us as women? I mean, is there a word of male yeah. trap? 
No. In Swedish? No. no, it's not, because they are not in the same and in the same tribe. So we have to find structures and systems that encourage us to uh, be with our children. And of course, this is why the parental leave is, is very important. Um, and at the same time, not punish those who, you know, economically punish those who stay uh, at home or use the parental leave. Uh, but in the long run, uh, that period that you stay home with a newborn uh, child is so short and you realize it when looking back, you know, you mm. can't even remember it. But, but you know that it gave you something for life and it gave your child something for life. So we should, we should praise parental leave. We should be very careful and, and uh, about it and make sure that we protect that. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, system. it's, it's the most incredible and well organized. Mm structure you have in Sweden. I think it is the kind of wish of the world and people look at you. But at the same time, I mean, it's such a difficult topic because is it okay to be ambitious as a woman? Is it yeah. okay to not take the full leave? Mm. I felt in Sweden that a lot of women also feel pressure yeah, I to think stay very long, to be this perfect mother, to yeah. do everything on their yeah, own. It's everything is, is, I mean, I think society has changed, of course, so dramatically since I had my, my kids. So um, it, it's a much more of a pressure on, on young, um, young men and women today, and especially on the women that they, they have to live up uh, to all of this, perfection. you know, being, yeah, perfection in, in every field. But, but I, I really, uh, I feel with them when mm. when I see how they suffer from trying to balance all all of this and um but I just think that the day we lose sight of putting children first then we have lost the most important thing in in society and if we don't invest in our in our kids and that that actually gives us so much back I mean with that you know better how to negotiate. You hmm. you learn a lot from that. It's it's not a burden. It's something that that is good f for us. And I and I totally agree. And this is why I want to do this show to show women in the world and and American women especially who don't have these resources that it's possible. It is. And I want to know. I mean. You did take your maternity leaves. How did you manage to stay a foot in the game? Because you would have had to with politics. How did did your husband take time off? Well, yeah. My first advice is, of course, find a good husband, <laughs> <laughs> somebody or partner, somebody who can um, support you if you, at least, if you want to be in politics or if you, uh, if you want to to go for a, a career. But I think it's a matter of also deciding. You know, now. I, I will do this. And then comes a time when I can again engage to the full in my career or in political life. I, I think it's just sort of phases in your, your life as, as well. But you cannot have it both. You cannot do both to the full. You will have at times to, to, to choose or prioritize. And, uh, I don't think you should see it as something that is bad for you, but, but rather, um, Helps you, helps you to understand the world, become a better person, uh, be um, an, an actor in in your own own life, and you will also care for for somebody else. And I think that's a quality that that is extremely important, both for men and women, of course. 
Do you feel ever, though, that you sacrificed anything? Do you look at it that way? And I, I ask this because my, my sister-in-law, Mika, wrote this great book, and she writes about a scene where she's moderating a conference at the White House with these fantastic women, and President Obama's uh, chief advisor, Valerie Jarrett, is there. And she says, you know, I asked, what have, what have you sacrificed? What toll has your job had on you? Because jobs like yours, foreign minister, and those do have a toll, either on your marriage, on your friendships, on your children. And Mika writes that she was shocked that no one said a thing. They came back, they were talking about mentorship, sponsorship. No one would really reveal these wounds. And this no, is where no. I think we gr- the, what mm. we give younger women is to say these failures too. Yeah, no, I think, you know, you will always have a bad conscience about being away too much from your children. And if you are in a meeting, even if you're the moderator of a big meeting and somebody calls and says, you know, your child has just had an, an accident, you would leave immediately. Mm. You would know where your first priority is. But And also, like somebody said, you know, on your deathbed, uh, you haven't heard anyone who said, I wish I had been more at, on the, in my office. Uh, this is not what you regret, but rather, why didn't I spend more time with my kids? Why didn't I engage with with people, with the things that really matter in in the long run, and but I have always um, felt a very bad conscience uh, about my kids, and you have to find a way to cope with that. And I remember um, Lisbeth Palme, who once said that uh, when her husband Olaf Palme was uh, the prime mm-hmm. minister, she told her sons that, but you also have to feel proud over your dad because he's trying to change the world for all kids and. Um, and and you are part of that. You are lending your father to that uh, cause, to to uh, uh, that mission. So, but but you know, of course, you you sacrifice uh, something because you are torn between those uh, interests and. Uh, and you you cry sometimes alone in a hotel mm. and and you would have liked to be more with your kids but you then you have to find methods also to do to deal with that you, How you do you call, ca- what well, do you do every day wherever i was i would call home call them you know you mm. had to, you have to just make also a routine and something that is stable for for them and that they know always uh, that i think of them and I know this is the case also for many of my my colleagues. But of course, I've seen that there are maybe more women on top positions that, that do not have kids. So maybe they feel that they they can't. And I, I think, you know, and please don't think I love my country, but I think that is very much the case in America. There are many mm. more women leaders, perhaps, because we're bigger. Mm. But I think if you did a statistic, most of them may not have children or may not be married. And I think many of us still think we have to choose. So I but know why you not can't change the world, you know, into a world where actually we share more with our husbands or partners, and where so where you can can both um, enjoy time and and enjoy sort of parenthood uh, as well as as being uh, in political life or taking on a, a career. But it means that you have to share. You have to share work at home, share the responsibility and time with uh, with your family. So it's a matter of, of finding the model for that. Because women want to be able to to do to to do both or to be able to to choose. But I don't think we should um, 
think that uh, there there is never any sacrifice or that you actually have to that sometimes you cannot do both you have to to decide you know what comes first and the kids will always come first mm. foreign minister last question how do you stand up stand up for yourself for others you know what i i give only one advice to my my sons and my my children i've said one thing you have to do something that is unselfish also you have had every opportunity you've had an education you have had everything material all your material needs fulfilled but i want you to do something for somebody else so try to put yourself in the shoes of somebody else to imagine your life being another person's life and try to do something that puts the focus from from you and onto to to somebody else and i think that will help a, a lot i mean there is so much uh, suffering in this world as well so many problems that have to be solved so um we need to show solidarity and compassion and that will give you so much back of of love and uh, um and the rest of of the world and other people I know that looking back on your career you've done that you've been standing up your entire life so I know that your sons must see that. Thank you Margaret. Good luck and I will be your cheerleader on the side cheering for Thank feminist you. foreign policy because we need more of you and more of that. Thank you very Thank much you. Natalia. Thank you my friend. This podcast is a collaboration with Doggins Industry and Acast. Produced by Henrik Jonsson and Acast with Sandra Moline as supervising producer and Carl Rosander as executive producer. 